At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dead America, Seattle Part 9 Dead America, The Northwest Invasion Book 11 Written by Derek Slayton Narrated by Aaron Smith Chapter 1 Day 0 plus 27 To the east of the I-5 lay a neighborhood just north of Volunteer Park. Battles raged all along the roads gunfire cracking in every direction. How much longer until dawn? Private Bartlett asked as she held her gun at the ready. The densely populated area was a mix of high-priced apartments and upscale businesses and had been home to a large number of young professionals who'd spent their days commuting to their high-rise office jobs. Still another hour, Private Sellers replied, checking his watch. Bartlett sighed. Damn it. Post-apocalypse, the area had become a nightmarish collection of zombies, darkened corridors, and danger. This, of course, was made worse by lack of sunlight. The two soldiers stood in an intersection with their squad of ten, two blocks to the east of the interstate, surrounded by residential housing. The next street had a couple of stores and some solar-powered streetlights, but the trees at the far end blocked the majority of the light. Their mission was to keep a firing line and a keen eye to the west. They didn't have any sort of barricade, which made the whole situation more nerve-wracking. Just taking a knee in the middle of the road. Make sure the flanks are covered, Sellers reminded the troops. We don't want any surprises. Corporal Corver rolled his eyes, looking down his nose at the young private. Relax, kid, he drawled. We cleared the yards already. Our last squad thought that too, Bartlett snapped. Then a runner got loose. Sellers narrowed his eyes. There's a reason we're with you now, instead of still with them, he added. Corver paused at the pain in their voices and clenched his jaw. While nothing official had come down the line, he'd heard from some of the others that there were significant losses among the southern force the day before. The last thing he wanted was for rumors to spread around to the others. Parts, Benton, he declared. Pick a side and cover it. The two privates moved to the left and right side respectively, taking a knee and keeping a close, intense watch on the houses to each side. All of a sudden, Private Galindo fired off several shots from his assault rifle, startling the whole team into high alert. When he stopped, chest heaving, Corver turned and smacked him on the arm. Galindo, what the hell, man? he demanded. 
The private's eyes were wide. I saw movement down the street. Really? the corporal asked, skepticism evident in his tone. Where? Why don't you point it out to the rest of us since you can see in the fucking dark? Galindo strained his eyes, trying to get a read on the area where he shot, but couldn't see anything. Well, he trailed off, dragging out the word. I don't see it anymore. Probably because it wasn't there to begin with, Corvus snapped, pointing a finger at him. In case you forgot, we don't have more ammo coming, and we have a long-ass day ahead of us. So unless you want to start fighting hand-to-hand -hand with those undead bastards, I would suggest you wait for the target to get real close. You don't have to hit them at a distance. They aren't shooting back at us. The private nodded begrudgingly, wincing at the verbal beatdown. He checked his ammo reserves, wrinkling his nose when he found only two full mags remaining. Now, everybody, the corporal declared, keep your eyes peeled for movement. We're past the choke point bridge, so we're going to get hit with everything coming from downtown. As if on cue, the gunfire coming from the east kicked up, only a block away. It was intense fire, sounding like hundreds of rounds being squeezed off in rapid succession. The group stiffened, muscles tense, and several of them turned their aim towards the noise. Stay steady, everyone, Corva warned, and they waited with bated breath. The firing continued for several moments, and then quickly died down, which did nothing to ease the tension in the troops. They remained motionless and silent, straining their ears and eyes, waiting for any sign of the enemy. Eerie moans began to float towards them from the south, and the privates turned that way, taking aim into the darkness. Nobody fire until you're a hundred percent sure you can hit the target. Corvus said firmly, still facing the street. After several moments of tense waiting, zombies appeared beneath the streetlight at the next intersection, fifty to sixty yards away. At first it was just a trickle, a few small groups of three or four, but by the time those groups had crossed the beam of light, there were dozens coming up behind them. The soldiers held fast, the ghouls too far away to shoot. Corporal? Galindo murmured to his superior, staying as quiet as he could. Hundred or so down the street headed our way. Corvin nodded. Heard, he replied, voice low. The firing to the east had completely stopped, and a full minute went by of nobody saying anything. The only sound the shuffling and groaning of the approaching monsters. Twenty seconds and we gotta start shooting, Galindo whispered, or we're going to get overrun. Heard the corporal repeated. As the soldiers prepared, a set of footsteps came up the road, moving rapidly. Corva strained his ears even harder, hearing some heavy breathing, huffing and puffing. It was too dark to see what it was, runner or human, so he squared his shoulders as it grew closer. Nobody fires unless I do, the corporal said quietly. When there was no response, he clucked his tongue and asked firmly, is that clear? There was a quiet chorus of, yes, sir, and Corva gripped his assault rifle tightly, preparing to unload if he needed to. A few seconds later, the footsteps sounded deadly close, soon followed by a wheezing. Don't shoot, just run, the person yelled, 
voice hoarse from overexertion. A male soldier emerged from the darkness, weaponless and covered from head to toe in blood. His eyes were wild, terrified, and as he reached the line he shoved the corporal aside and kept tearing past them. Corva tried to reach out to slow him down. Hey! Run! Run! The soldier cried, batting him away. He vanished into the darkness on the other side, and the soldiers whipped back to where he'd come from as more footsteps smacked the pavement. Corva raised his weapon again, prompting the rest of his team facing that direction to do the same. As soon as you see one, start shooting, he commanded. Can't let runners get a foothold. The soldiers prepared, muscles tense as the hungry snarls and pounding feet grew louder. Going hot, Galindo warned. The corporal nodded. Do it, he replied. The private took aim and fired, prompting the other troops facing south to do the same. Their gunshots were calm and collected, each of them strategically picking targets and dropping them one by one. They kept the slow-moving creatures at bay, the closest still standing about twenty yards away, but the crowd was thicker the deeper they looked. A moment later a runner came into the light from the east. There wasn't much to illuminate it, but they could make out the fast-moving ghoul. Corver fired first, sending three-round bursts downrange. The first batch ripped into the zombie's chest, tearing through its tattered crimson fatigues. One round from the second burst found its target, cracking through the bridge of the monster's nose, sending it flopping backwards onto the pavement with a wet smack. As soon as it hit the ground, a dozen more appeared to take its place, racing quickly towards the living and breathing lunch in the middle of the intersection. Open fire! Open fire! Corva screamed in panic. The soldiers next to him unleashed a torrent of bullets, everyone shooting in three-round bursts. Most of the shots either missed the bodies completely or hit harmlessly on torsos and shoulders. As the runners grew closer, the soldiers were able to adjust their aim, hitting a few in the head, but several troops resorted to panic fire as the threat grew bigger and bigger. One ghoul reached a few yards of cellars, but both he and Bartlett focused their guns and fired simultaneously, both bullets punching it in the forehead just before it reached him. The creature lurched forward, sliding on the pavement and coming to a stop just at his feet. Watch it, Potts! Corva barked, and she stood up from her kneel, retreating while firing into a trio of runners on the left side of the road. She was able to hit the leader in the head, but the other shots found throats instead, and the other two took their opening to leap on her. The zombies attacked viciously, spraying blood every which way. Potts screamed, her agony palpable as flesh tore from her body. Keep firing! The corporal screamed at Sellers and Bartlett and broke from his position. He emptied the rest of his mag into the feasting zombies, taking them out and plunging a bullet into the now gurgling soldier's forehead to stop her from suffering and reanimating. He didn't take a moment to grieve, couldn't waste any precious moments, and simply smacked in another magazine and turned back towards the runners still bearing down on their position. He could make out half a dozen through the darkness, but he didn't want to assume there weren't more. Meanwhile, Galindo and his team picked up their firing rate, the zombies from the south still growing in number. Last mag! Galindo yelled, slapping in a fresh mag to continue firing. The others in his group continued, and then Private Benton suddenly turned to the west, unloading bullets in that direction. Contact west! he screamed. 
He ripped off a couple of shots towards the yard between some houses. He hit a zombie in the head, dropping it, but more emerged from the shadows. Galindo's team struggled to hold back the horde, the ghouls at the front edge having come within fifteen yards of them. We're going to get overrun, Corporal, Galindo cried. Corver, Sellers, and Bartlett continued to fire on the runners, working in three round bursts, and another one dropped. As soon as it flopped backwards, five more joined the handful of others rushing towards their position. The corporal grunted in frustration. Move to the west, he barked. The trio began to retreat while still firing. Galindo and Barr stood up from their knees and moved back while the three still on the eastern side of the formation continued shooting to the south horde. Corver whipped around, joining Benton in pushing to the west, hitting targets in the yard while leading the group towards the alley between the houses. We're moving, Galindo bellowed, and he and Barr joined Sellers and Bartlett in firing towards the runners, hitting a few of them. Privates Marin and Waller leapt to their feet, the latter grabbing Private Para by the arm to pull him up. Para looked to the east, his eyes widening at how close the runners were getting. He jerked his arm free and fired, but his aim was off. Rather than retreat, he adjusted his aim and fired again, but missed. The military ghoul rushed him, and he froze in terror. By the time he snapped out of it, the zombie was on top of him, ripping at his throat. Marin screamed and rushed to his aid, grabbing the ghoul by the back of its clothes. He managed to get it off of Para, but his hand slipped on the blood-soaked fabric as the ghoul got free, whirling around and launching into his gut, teeth first. Marin wailed and pulled his handgun, shooting the zombie through the top of its head. Waller stood stunned, seeing his friends bleeding and wounded from zombie bites, sealing their fates. Waller, move! Galindo bellowed bringing up the rear of the retreat. The grieving private raised his rifle, aiming at his bleeding friend. Marin immediately threw his hands up, palms out. Waller, no, no, he begged frantically. Let me keep fighting, let me... Waller pulled the trigger, hitting his friend in the forehead. He immediately let out an agonized scream, angry at the situation. He whirled to face the west, stomping after his team, and then froze as Galindo raised his rifle aiming past him. Walla whipped back around, but it was too late. The monster that used to be Para scrambled to its feet and launched itself through the air, tackling him and biting into his bicep. Walla groaned and hissed in pain, punching the zombie in the head to try to dislodge it. Galindo chewed his lower lip and then fired a three-round burst, hitting both Para and Walla in the top of the head, leaving them both limp on the road. Before he could think too hard about it, he turned and rushed after the remains of his team at the far end of the alley. Where are the others? Culver asked, but the private just shook his head, not needing to vocalize what had happened. Where are we going, Corporal? Sellers asked, eyes wide. Culver rubbed his forehead, down to six, including himself. Just six. Not sure yet, he admitted. There's an apartment building on the next block, Benton suggested. That should provide us enough cover until this horde passes. The corporal shook his head. No, we have to move south. South? Galindo gaped at him. You saw how many of those things were there. And hell, that doesn't include the runners. He shook his head wildly. That's suicide. Corver narrowed his eyes. We have orders to hold this line, and that's exactly what we're going to do, he said firmly. If we don't, 
then we're going to get wiped out on this side of the water. What about the zombies that overran the line to the east? Galindo demanded. You want to take them out too? Colvin nodded. If we can. I think there's a storefront near the far end of the block to the south. Bartlett piped up, holding up a hand. We might be able to fend them off in there if we can get to it. Sellers nodded. I saw it too. Gotta admit, Benton added quietly, I like the idea of being inside more than being exposed out here. Bartlett nodded emphatically. And we might be able to draw over some zombies from the next street up as well. As Corva contemplated the privates all trying to convince him, Galindo turned and fired several shots down the alley at a few zombies stumbling into it. Fuck it, he grunted. Anywhere is better than here. Let's move, Corva finally agreed, and led the team out of the alley and into a grassy area separating the two rows of buildings. The group raced down the area, aiming down the alleys as they crossed to make sure there were no surprises inside. When they reached the end of the row, standing outside a mid-sized single-story building, Corva immediately went to work on the lock. Galindo and Barr aimed back to the north, popping off a few shots at zombies that had followed them back down. Well, at least we know they'll follow us wherever we go, Galindo muttered. We got a runner, Barr said, whipping behind them. Galindo clenched his jaw. Make that too, he said. Sellers, Benton, get in here. The two privates stepped up and readied their weapons, but he shook his head. We'll handle shooting them, Galindo said. Sellers furrowed his brow. What do you want us to do? he asked. The runners passed the slow-moving zombies still about thirty yards away. If we miss, Galindo said, you need to hold them at bay. Sellers and Benton shared a concerned look. Barr shook her head. Just get low and grab them, she explained. We're only going to need a second to finish them. Damn well better, Benton muttered. Galindo and Barr tracked their targets with their barrels as they grew closer. They waited until they were within ten yards before pulling the trigger. Barr's shot pierced the zombie's forehead, sending it tumbling back to the ground in a heap. Galindo's shot was a dull click instead of a loud boom. Fuck, he said flatly. Sellers dove forward, dropping to one knee and lashed out with his fists, catching the zombie by the belt and shirt. The momentum sent it tumbling over him, but Sellers anticipated it and twisted, smacking it into the ground. He used every ounce of his strength to hold it down, and Galindo pulled his handgun to execute the beast at point-blank range. Appreciate the assist, he said. Sellers clenched his fists as he got to his feet. Next time you want me to risk my life, he growled. Make goddamn sure there's a bullet in the chamber. Galindo opened his mouth to argue but closed it again. He'd fucked up, and his teammate was absolutely right. Got the door, Corva called, stepping inside. Let's move. The six soldiers burst into the store. The corporal brought up the rear to secure the door. Sellers, Bartlett, and Galindo pushed through the store, which turned out to be a trendy clothing boutique, clearing it quickly. When they reached the front, they stopped, staring out the front windows, which were nestled into a waist-high wooden wall. Mother of God, Sellers breathed. That's a lot of zombies. As they waited on the others, they stared at the sea of ghouls outside, slowly shambling past them to the north. And that's just the ones we can see, Bartlett murmured. God only knows how many of them have already gone past. Benton and Barr walked up, joining the others overlooking the street gawking at the view. 
Command, this is Quadrant 3, Corver barked into his radio. Over. There were a few moments of silence, and the corporal turned to look out the window as well. Command, he tried again. This is Quadrant 3, do you copy? We have you, somebody replied. What's your status? Corver let out a sign of relief and then shook his head. Position was overrun. We have taken shelter one block south, he explained. Preparing to engage the enemy. Be advised that the team at Quadrant 4 was taken out. Do you have a count? came the reply. The corporal sucked in a deep breath. Ten, give or take. No exact count? Command asked, sounding indignant. Corver sighed. Negative, he replied. However, a survivor from that squad ran through our position, so it's likely he pulled the runners in our direction. Noted, Command replied. We are sending reinforcements to your position. The line is being pushed north too much for comfort, so your orders are to take as many as you can out and hold them there. The corporal rubbed his forehead. ETA on reinforcements, he asked. Thirty minutes, came the reply. Culver nodded. Understood, he said. Culver out. He pocketed the radio and stepped up to the window, looking both ways to the north and south. Looks like a few dozen of those things have gotten past this point, and it's still too dark to see the south past the intersection. How do you want to play it? Galindo asked. The corporal looked around the room as he contemplated, seeing nothing but clothing racks. He stepped over to the nearest one and threw the overpriced dresses on the floor. He grabbed the rack and shook it a bit testing the sturdy piece of metal that stretched about six feet. Benton, give me a hand with this, he said, and when the private approached, they picked it up and moved it over to the front door, pushing it up against it. Door is sturdy enough, solid wood, Corver mused, but those things can break through if they bunch up. Benton, Bar, start looking around for heavy things to shore this up. Bartlett, Sellers, start finding us some weapons that don't require ammo. Galindo cocked his head. What about me? The corporal raised a hand. We're going to build us a barricade. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chapter 2 In a matter of ten minutes, 
Corver and Galindo had moved most of the heavy clothing racks over to the windows and adjusted the heights of them to form an extension of the wooden wall. With the added metal, the barricade came chest high, meaning the zombies would still have a tough time reaching through. That's some quality work there, Corporal, Galindo said as he stepped back, swiping his palms together. Corver nodded. It'll do it in a pinch, he replied. At least I hope it will. Sellers and Bartlett came out of the back room carrying armfuls of metal posts that had been designed to snap into the racks that were now pressed against the walls. They dropped them onto the ground, the loud metallic clang echoing throughout the room. This is all we could find, Sellers declared. Corver picked up one, feeling the heft in his hand. Got some solid weight to it, he murmured. He inspected the end, seeing that it was empty but had a spot for something to be inserted. A shame we don't have the blade attachments for it, he joked. Bartlett smiled wryly and reached into her pocket, pulling out a six-inch long insert. The extended portion was considerably thinner, with a couple of metal notches on it where clothes would hang. She stepped over and slid it into the end of the post with a sharp click. It's not a spike, she said, but it's solid metal and thin enough that we should be able to punch through the skull. Corver inspected it and nodded approvingly. I think you might be right there. He trailed off and turned back to the window, which now had the attention of a hundred or so zombies. They'd been filing over with each bump and clang of the barricade building procedures. Hope you're ready for a workout, because we have a hell of a crowd waiting on us. Benton and Barr emerged from the back storeroom carrying a heavy case, struggling to get it to the front. When they got there, they dropped it on top of the rack based by the door, joining several other various objects. Don't know how well that's going to hold up, but it's what we got, Benton declared. As if on cue, one of the windows cracked under the pressure from the zombies. Looks like we're going to find out, Corver said, holding up his metal rod. Get your weapons and get in position. Everyone picked up one of the rods and Bartlett passed out the extended puncture tips. As they did this, the window on the far right shattered, and rotted arms reached inside. The jagged glass ripped through their limbs, but they didn't seem to care, being as dead and hungry as they were. Bartlett and Sellers rushed over and began jamming their weapons right into zombie heads. It took them a few tries to find the right angle, but soon Sellers was able to deliver a kill shot, punching right through the decrepit forehead of a ghoul. Put the bar on the metal racks and just thrust forward, he called. Don't worry about aiming, you'll hit something. Bartlett nodded and rested her own bar on the rack and shoved it forward with all of her might. Despite her tiny frame, the thrust went between two creatures and embedded into the eye socket of a skull in the second row. There you go, Sellers said with a grin. Now just do that a couple hundred more times. She shot him a playful middle finger and then geared up for another thrust. On the other side of the room, the other four soldiers had taken up positions at their windows. Tired of waiting, Corver readied his weapon. Break the glass! Let's get killing! He bellowed, and thrust through, shattering the window and driving the rod right into a rotted skull. The rest of the team followed suit, beginning their assault on the ghouls outside. The fighting was tense the creatures reaching through as far as they could and nearly grabbing hold of the soldiers trying to keep them at bay. One monster managed to grip Galindo's weapon 
and he let out a roar, shaking it back and forth. Motherfucker! he yelled. Give me my spear back! He finally wrestled it free of the death grip and slammed it through the zombie's eye socket, letting out a victory shout before continuing his assault. As the minutes ticked by, zombies dropped by the dozens. Some soldiers began to tire out, needing a breather to rest their thrusting arms. As they dropped their limbs to give them a rest, Corva continued to dispatch ghouls with precision and speed. Keep pushing, he yelled. This ain't break time, bitches! The pep talk fired up the group, and they went back at it, pushing hard. Bartlett turned and saw the front door hinges starting to warp, and then one snapped free of the wall. The door! she screamed. Get the door! Galindo was closest, and glanced over, eyes widening as he dropped his weapon. He threw his full weight into the door as the latch cracked open. Even with his full body weight and the makeshift door jam, the zombies were too powerful and the door inched open. Need a hand over here? He bellowed as rotted arms began to reach through the gap, flailing around for food. Bartlett dropped her rod and rushed over to the door, drawing her handgun. She inched as close as she could to the opening, aiming through the crack and firing. She shot quickly, but deliberately, dropping every head she could get a clean view of. But even with the reduced stress, the door continued to creep open, Benton! Bartlett screamed. The private beside Corva rushed over to help with the door. He threw himself beside Galindo, helping to hold it at bay. Bartlett continued to shoot while the other three held their own at the windows. Shit! They're starting to get too high! Sellers cried, and one of the zombies managed to flip over to the inside, having used its dead brethren as a stepping stone. Rather than take the chance, he pulled his handgun and fired one round into the back of its head before resuming his stabbing through the window with the rod. The others were soon facing similar problems with zombies tumbling inside. Soon enough, the thud of metal to skull was replaced wholly with handgun fire. Corva's blood rushed in his ears, the bleakness of the situation setting in, and looked out towards the back of the horde to see if they'd even made a dent. To his surprise, the ghouls at the back were wandering in the other direction, and then a few dropped dead. Reinforcements are here, he cried. Keep fighting! The group summoned an extra bit of strength, changing their strategy from kills to one of outright defense. They used the rods to shove zombies back outside rather than wait for them to get close enough to kill, hoping to stave off the horde long enough for the soldiers outside to take care of them. The gunfire outside intensified, and the small team held the ghouls at bay as soldiers moved in a single line shoulder to shoulder, marching towards the store and wiping out all the zombies. As the crowd thinned, several soldiers with machetes stepped up and went to work, slicing and dicing rotted flesh. As the ghouls moved away from the doors and windows of the store, the group inside began to relax. They sagged, breathing heavily, trying to steady their pounding hearts. You okay? Sellers asked, putting a hand on Bartlett's shoulder. She nodded and checked her handgun, finding the mag empty. Yeah, I'm good, she replied, not looking forward to fighting hand to hand the rest of the day, but I'm good. He patted her on the back and they leaned against the wall to catch their breath. Corver approached the door and motioned for Galindo and Benton to help him move the barricade out of the way. They shoved everything aside and when it was clear, 
he pulled aside the busted door, leading the team outside into the street. It was total carnage in front of the shop. The bodies by the windows were piled several high, dark blood pooling beneath the corpses. Rotted, limp corpses were strewn everywhere, limbs sticking out every which way. A large man in protective gear walked up to them as the special forces team waltzed through the mess, making sure all the ghouls were dead and dispatched. Your team okay? he asked as he removed his mask. Corva nodded. We're down four, but the rest of us are okay, he replied. I'm sorry for your losses, the soldier paused expectantly. Corporal Corver, he offered. Corver, okay, he nodded firmly. I'm Sergeant Bauer. He looked around, appraising the piles of corpses around the store. Looks like despite your losses, your team managed to do some damage. The corporal nodded. That we did, sir, he replied. Is your team operational? Bauer asked. Culver inclined his head back and forth. Despite their exhaustion, he knew they'd be in tip-top in short order. Physically, we are, he explained, but we're real short on ammunition. Bauer nodded. I can help with that, he replied, and squeezed a small radio receiver on his vest. Need an ammo resupply in my position ASAP, he turned to the corporal. Is there anything else you need? Wouldn't turn down a hot meal, Corver replied with a small smile. Bauer laughed and shook his head. Good try, corporal, he said, wagging a finger. Afraid that's not in the cards for any of us for the time being. Got a lot of work ahead of us before that happens. As he finished his sentence, there was a gigantic explosion in the distance, startling Corver and his team. Bauer didn't even blink an eye as they all looked to the south, the sky lighting up from the flames. What the hell was that? the corporal breathed. The sergeant grinned. Bringing the fight to the enemy, corporal, he explained, spreading his arms, which is what I need your team to do. Let's step inside for a minute. He waved for them to follow him into the store and headed towards the back counter. He pulled out a piece of paper from his pocket and spread it out on the flat surface. It was a satellite view of the area, and he pointed to it as he spoke. Okay, we're here, just south of the water, he began. We have a force 20,000 strong marching down the interstate and headed straight for the center of downtown. Now, we have sniper teams set up on several downtown rooftops to act as distractions, but we need another, which is where your team comes in. He tapped on the paper. Your target is Freeway Park, approximately two and a half miles south of us. It's perfectly situated on the interstate, with the ten-story building overlooking it. We have reports of a massive horde moving up the interstate, and we need to slow it down. Corva blinked at the page. I'm glad you have faith in us, he said slowly. But there's only six of us. How are we supposed to distract a horde large enough to threaten our main force? You're the tip of the spear, Bauer explained. We have another, larger team moving in from the east, but they are hours out. Your job is to get there and set the stage so they can just waltz in and start firing. We're going to be cutting it close as it is, so anything you can do is going to help out. Questions? The corporal cocked his head. If this horde is such a threat, he drawled, then why aren't they using the Apaches to just minigun them into goo? Because they aren't densely packed enough yet, the sergeant replied, shaking his head. There is a finite amount of ammo, so they are being very selective about their strafing runs. If you can help get them packed up enough, they'll be able to take them out. Benton leaned forward on the counter, studying the map. Why not just let the main force take care of it? he asked. Simple logistics, Bauer explained. 
20,000 troops don't do much good when you can only get 50 to the line at a time. Plus, all it would take is a few runners getting a foothold and it would be chaos. He paused as the private nodded in agreement. There's a lot to get done, he prompted. Any other questions? Galindo raised his hand. Yeah? What happened to the team that was originally supposed to do this? He asked. Pretty sure you met them earlier when some of them ran up on your position, Bauer replied. Now it's next man up. Galindo stared at him with wide eyes, not even masking the horror on his face. This was about to be a bad situation, and the team that had been equipped for it had already fallen. Bauer held up a hand and then pressed her finger to his ear to listen to a message coming into his earbud. He nodded and lowered his hand. Okay, your supplies will be here in five, he said. It'll also have your contact info for the Eastern support team so you can coordinate their arrival. You have a map of the area? Corva nodded, patting his vest pocket. Yes, sir. Good, the sergeant replied. Be safe, move quick, and I'll see you when this is over. The corporal nodded as Bauer put his helmet back on and stepped out onto the street, leaving the six soldiers alone. None of them said a word, standing in somber silence for a few moments to contemplate what they were about to walk into. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Chapter 3 As the sun came up, the group headed to the south. The streets were littered with the dead, chopped, shot, and mangled beyond recognition. To the southwest, the plume of smoke from the building detonation continued to hang in the air. The troops were careful to step around the dead, just in case any of them were still hanging on to their putrid existence. Man, those special forces guys really know how to fuck stuff up. Galindo murmured as he sidestepped a particularly disassembled zombie. Barr shook her head. Yeah, not sure why we're the ones being sent on a suicide mission when they are much better equipped to handle it, he added. Probably because we're expendable grunts and they're not, Sellers quipped. Bartlett rolled her eyes. Thanks, buddy, she drawled. Always one for the uplifting banter. Just calling it like I see it, he replied with a shrug. Just like chess, you don't send your queen rushing behind enemy lines. That's the pawn's job. She shook her head. Again, so uplifting, she replied. Look at the bright side, Benton cut in. At least we're out here enjoying the sun. We could be cooped up in a shack surrounded by thousands of those things. Day's still young, Corvus said dryly. The team let out a bit of a chuckle. 
each and every one of them trying to keep their spirits up and their minds off of the incredible danger they were about to be in. At the end of the road, Corver pulled out his map. He studied it, noting some developed areas running right along the interstate, with a park a few blocks to the east of it. What do you think? he asked. Fight our way through civilization, or take a stroll through the park? Galindo raised his hand. Park all day long, Corporal, he said firmly. The rest of the troops nodded and voiced their approval for that plan. Park it is, Corver said, folding up the map and putting it back into his pocket. He led the group east a few blocks, finding the beginning of the park. They were cautious in the parking lot, as there were a few cars there, which meant at one point there'd been patrons at the park. The corporal stopped them at the entrance and let out a whistle. A few moments later, a handful of creatures stumbled out of the woods, shambling by the cars in their direction. Conserve your ammo, he instructed. Galindo, Sellers, and Benton stepped up, drawing their knives. They waltzed over to the zombies and quickly dispatched them with direct headshots, dropping the corpses to the pavement. Once the immediate threat was dealt with, they took up defensive positions just in case more ghouls arrived. After a moment, with no more of their friends showing up, Corva took point and led the team through the first set of trees. When they reached the opening, they all stopped short, staring wide-eyed at the devastation before them. What the hell happened here? Sellers breathed. They stared at the complete destruction ahead. Bodies and their severed limbs covered the entire area. Trees had been completely uprooted or just outright destroyed. Blood and guts covered the ground as far as the eye could see. The only exception to the unmoving carnage was a handful of zombies at the far end of the park, emerging from the opposite tree line. Galindo clapped his hands together with excitement. Oh, shit, he exclaimed. You remember yesterday when I said I heard something big and all of you said I was crazy? He pumped a fist into the air and didn't wait for a response before continuing. This must have been it, because if this wasn't a bomb of epic proportions, then I don't know what the hell it was. In our defense, Barr replied, holding up a hand, who knew this would be the one time you weren't full of shit? A chuckle rippled through the group, and then Corva straightened his shoulders. Watch your step through here, he said firmly. These things may look dead, but they may still be kicking. A bite to the ankle is just as deadly as a bite to the jugular. The troops nodded and began to move across the devastated park. They cautiously stepped over charred bodies, making sure not to get too close. Sellers let out a high-pitched scream and leapt a couple feet back, knife high in the air. You all right there, bud? Bartlett asked eyebrow raised in amusement. He nodded, pointing to where he'd been standing. Got a live one there. Bartlett moved over slowly and leaned over to have a look at the mangled corpse. The blast had blown off the bulk of its body, leaving only the top foot of its torso and head. When it seemed to realize a meal was near, it gnashed its teeth in a fruitless attempt to get a bite. Put it out of its misery and let's keep moving, Corver instructed. Bartlett turned and playfully motioned to Sellers. Might as well get your revenge, she offered. He shook his head and knelt, jamming his blade into the top of the ghoul's head. The group continued moving and stopped about thirty yards away from the zombies coming out of the woods. There were a dozen of them, spread out several yards apart from each other. Teams of two, the corporal instructed. Let's knock them out. 
Everyone drew their knives and paired off, moving in a wide arc towards the line of ghouls. It was a textbook demolition of the dead, forceful kicks knocking the front line to the ground before moving on with the head strikes on the back line. Each duo made quick work of the zombies in their path. When they reached the end of the park, they paused next to a large tree so that Corver could consult his map. So, where are we headed? Galindo asked and leaned against the trunk, crossing his arms. The corporal pursed his lips for a moment. Well, no real good options here, he mused. It's solid civilization for the next mile or so until we get to the park. The stuff near the interstate looks more like storefronts with more residential stuff to the east. I vote residential, Sellers put in, raising his hand. Lot more open spaces. Bartlett nodded in agreement. And fewer cars for them to hide under, she pointed out. With any luck, Sellers here won't scream like an eight-year-old girl. You aren't going to let me live that one down, are you? he asked, rubbing his forehead. She smirked at him. Not for a long time. All right, Corver cut in. Residential it is. Before he could move, his radio chirped and he sighed. Surely this is good news, he deadpanned, and raised the radio to his lips. This is Corporal Corver. Corporal, this is Captain Clay, a distinguished voice sounded on the other end. I believe you are the one clearing the path to Freeway Park for my boys. Corver nodded. Yes, sir, he said. We are en route to it as we speak, making good time. That's good to hear, Clay replied. However, I need you to divert course. A situation has arisen. The corporal sighed before clicking the radio button. Sir, my orders are to take the Freeway Park building so you can come in and hold the horde at bay, he explained. I don't know what they told you about us, but we're only half a dozen strong. I appreciate the fact that this is putting you in a difficult spot, the captain replied. But there's more information that you aren't aware of. Corvin nodded. Of course, Captain, he said quickly. Please continue. The bulk of my forces are bogged down less than half a mile from the Eastern Bridge, Clay explained. At first we thought we could push through, but we have been swarmed. We're in a fast spot, but it's going to take too much time for us to fully break out. When this became evident, I sent an advance team of fifty to make a play for the target at Freeway Park. He paused for a beat. Corporal, I lost contact with them fifteen minutes ago. To put this bluntly, unless you want to tackle the interstate horde on your own, I'm going to need you to mount a bit of a rescue operation. Corver dropped the radio down by his side, making a deep noise of disgust. It was a stretch for the team to be doing this mission in the first place, and now they'd have to go into full-on rescue mode. He looked around at his team, seeing the same discouraged looks on all their faces. What do you think? he asked. Galindo looked around at everyone and then cleared his throat. I think I speak for everyone when I say this is a shit sandwich, he declared. But under the circumstances, I think we're going to have to choke it down. Corver sighed and raised the radio to his lips. Captain, where are they? he asked. There's a small college about a mile east of the park, Clay replied. Last I heard, my men were retreating into the residence hall. The leader of the group, Sergeant Salinas, was in a stairwell firing his weapon. Last thing I heard was him screaming, They're everywhere. Only sounds after that were moans. He paused, clearing his throat. I don't know how many are left, or if any of them are. All I know is that they are the only reinforcements you're going to get before nightfall, which will probably be too late to do much good. The corporal took a deep breath. 
We'll get your men, Captain, he promised. Or at the very least, give it all we've got. You have my thanks, Corporal, Clay said sincerely. Good luck. Corver put the radio away and pulled out his map. Everyone clustered around and he pointed to the park. Okay, we're here, he murmured, at the park. Galindo clucked his tongue. What's left of it, at any rate, he quipped. Here's our target by the interstate, Corver continued, following with his finger. Now we just have to figure out where the hell the college is. Everyone leaned over the map, the corporal slowly moving his finger east of the target. Wait, that's gotta be it, Bartlett said, reaching over to point at a few blank areas to the east. Those have to be sports fields, right? Sellers nodded, staring at the area. I think she's right, he agreed. Everything else in the area is completely developed. I don't see any other potentials, so that's my vote unless anyone has a viable objection, Corver said. He glanced over at Galindo. The private shrugged, shaking his head. Hell, we're going to be walking into trouble no matter where we go, he said. Does the specific location really matter that much? Let's get moving, Corver said, folding up the paper and putting it back in his pocket. It's going to be a hell of a hike. Chapter 4 The bulk of the team sat in the living room of a house. Everybody but Benton, who stayed low and out of sight. Corver studied the map, seeing they were still a mile and a half away from what they thought was the college. Bartlett peeked out the front window and saw a few dozen zombies in the front yard, just milling about aimlessly, completely unaware that fresh food was right near them. She chuckled under her breath. What's so funny? Barr asked. She shook her head. Sorry, I'm just finding it humorous that there was a time in my life when I actually enjoyed hide-and-seek, she explained. Bar laughed, rubbing her forehead. Yeah, the apocalypse does suck the fun out of a lot of this stuff, doesn't it? She asked. Could be worse, Sellers suggested. Bar raised an eyebrow. How? We could be outside playing tag instead, came the reply. Bartlett and Bar nodded in approval, sharing a shudder. Man, what is taking Benton so long? Galindo muttered. He should have had those things moved already. Corver cocked his head. Why don't you go upstairs and help him out then? Galindo sighed. Should have just kept my big mouth shut, he muttered under his breath, and got up in a huff. He walked up the stairs to the back bedroom, spotting his companion standing by an open window with a stack of hardcover books. What's the deal? he demanded. Does it really take you that long to cause a diversion? Fuck you, man, Benton snapped, pursing his lips. You come try to hit that shed with a book. See how well you do. His comrade took it as a personal challenge and waltzed up to him, snatching a book from his hand. He licked his thumb and playfully flipped through it, a smug expression on his face. Looks like a real page-turner, he said dryly. Now, where am I throwing this? Benton smirked and pointed to the neighbor's backyard, a good thirty yards away from the house. Galindo looked out, seeing the collection of books scattered throughout the yard. All trace of smugness fell from his face, dissipating like smoke. Well, hot shot, Benton said, waving his hand like a game show host. Have at it. Galindo nodded, psyching himself up for the throw. He motioned for his companion to back up. All right, get out of the way, 
he drawled. Let me show you how it's done. Benton stepped out of the way, crossing his arms, eyebrows raised skeptically. Galindo moved back to get a running start. He raised the book, did a few practice heaves, and then darted forward. He picked up momentum and swung his arm with everything he had. Unfortunately for him, he let go a little too late, and the book smacked into the window frame, barely clearing the threshold and landing on the roof. Benton bit back his laughter, keeping a straight face as he approached the window. He put a hand to his forehead, as if looking far into the distance. Holy shit, he declared. I think you completely cleared it. I don't see it at all. He dropped his hand and looked out the window. Oh, wait, it went four feet. Galindo rolled his eyes, clapping his hands sarcastically. Yeah, yeah, he drawled. It's a tough throw. Now, how the hell are we going to hit it? Benton tilted his head back and forth as he appraised the steep incline of the roof. I think one of us is going to have to go out on the ledge while the other holds on so they don't fall off, he said. Galindo raised an eyebrow incredulously and then waved him forward. Well, I don't want you thinking I stole your idea, he said, shaking his head. So the honor is yours. Normally I would have a witty comeback to explain why you are such a pussy, Benton replied, holding up a finger. But I've seen you throw, so if we want to leave this house any time soon, I'm going to have to do the throwing. Galindo grimaced, finding it physically painful to not quip back hard at his friend. But he held fast, knowing he could jeopardize his safe spot inside the house. All right, he finally said. I'm ready when you are. Benton nodded and picked up a stack of books, setting them on the windowsill. He stuck a leg through the hole, keeping a tight grip on the window frame. Get a good hold of me, he instructed, and I'll start chucking. Galindo reached out and grabbed his companion's belt firmly from the back. He made sure he had a good grip and then nodded. Benton picked up a book, making sure his stance was secure. He reared back and lobbed the book over his head. It sailed in a high arc, landing a few feet short of the metal shed. He grunted and then adjusted his aim, throwing the book with everything he had. The second one finally hit the roof of the shed with a loud smack, piercing through the quiet moans that filled the air. Galindo quickly helped him back inside, and the two of them watched with bated breath as the zombies from the front yard shambled towards the shed. Nice throw, Galindo admitted. Benton grinned. Thanks, he replied. Come on, let's get downstairs. They headed down, finding the rest of the team getting geared up. You boys finally hit the target? Barr teased. Galindo nodded. Yeah, he had a hell of a throw, he commended. Good for you, Barr said dryly. Now get your shit because we're on the move. The two soldiers grabbed their gear as the group waited by the front door for the zombies to leave the front yard. They scanned the neighborhood, seeing that it was mostly empty, just a few stragglers down the road a bit. When the coast was clear, Corva opened the door quietly, leading them outside in single file. The soldiers followed as quickly and quietly as they could. The corporal thought that the bomb from the night before in the park was what was to blame for the neighborhood being so eerily empty, and it also could mean trouble ahead, like the eye of a hurricane. Before he could even finish the thought, his fear was soon realized. 
A steady stream of deliberate gunfire echoed towards them, and the team of six stopped, not wanting to attract any attention to themselves. The shots weren't panicked, just several shots in a steady stream. Corver motioned for the group to get closer together, so they could move as a single unit. They reached the next block, and the gunfire intensified. The corporal ducked down beside a house and peered across the street. There were dozens of zombies all moving in the same direction towards the house. Corver waved for Galindo to sidle up beside him. What do you think? the private whispered. Civilian? The corporal shook his head. More likely a diversion spot, he whispered back. Regardless, it's putting a crimp in our plans. What are you thinking? Galindo asked quietly. Corver chewed his lip for a moment. The college is another mile or so due south of here he explained, so I don't want to go too far to the east, but we might not have a choice. Vehicle? Galindo suggested. The corporal shook his head. Too risky, too noisy, he replied. We gotta stay quiet. As they contemplated, there was a scuffle from the back of the group. They turned and saw Bartlett fighting with half a dozen zombies that had wandered around the corner. She let out a soft yelp as one of them grabbed her arm. She wrenched it free, narrowly avoiding the gnashing teeth and losing a chunk of flesh to a man-eating corpse. Sellers, Barr, and Benton leapt into action. Sellers rushed forward, lowering his shoulder to plough right through the group, not stopping until he was all the way through, and several of them were on the ground. Benton and Barr quickly followed him, stabbing the fallen ghouls in the head. Galindo reached over and grabbed Bartlett's shoulder, forcing her to look at him. You okay? he asked. She inspected her arm, finding no bites. She nodded shakily, and he helped her up. They watched the other three finish off the last few zombies, and the trio sauntered over, Sellers in the rear. He suddenly stopped short, eyes going wide, and took off at a run, skidding behind cover next to the corporal. There's fifty of those fuckers headed our way, he hissed. We gotta get inside. Culver thought for a moment, looking across the street to see that the zombies headed towards the noise were starting to get backed up, staying in the yards instead of moving ahead. He cocked his head, the thought dawning on him that those creatures may be the pack of the pack. If we go inside now, we may never get out, he murmured. Look. Sellers peeked out and cursed under his breath, but nodded in agreement. Well, we can't stay here, he replied. The corporal waved for everyone to huddle in. Okay, he whispered. We're moving quickly and quietly. Two blocks to the east. If we get separated, rendezvous in the backyard of the third house on the left after the second intersection. He waited for everyone to nod and then raised his hand. Move. The group leapt up and ran to the east, away from the gunfire. Two houses up, Corver darted in between two houses as several zombies emerged from the next one up. As he made the turn, he came face to face with a duo of ghouls. He grabbed one by its bloodied and tattered shirt and drove it into the backyard, shoving it to the ground. Galindo threw down the other next to it. They turned quickly to the east, not wasting any time killing the creatures. They made it across a few backyards, but on the last house on the block there was a privacy fence that stood six feet high. Culver stopped and turned back to the north to get around it, when they reached the edge, they saw dozens of zombies heading through the intersection, spread out and moving at a steady clip. 
We gotta push through them, he murmured. Galindo stared at the horde, chewing his lip in thought. He spotted a few rolling dumpsters on the next block and pointed them out. Looks like it was trash day, he said. The corporal looked and nodded in approval, waving for the rest to cluster in. Okay, he said quietly. We're going to have to push through a group of these things. They're going to give chase, there's no question about it. When we get across, everybody grab a trash can as they go by. The other four soldiers exchanged glances of confusion. Just trust me, Corva continued. Grab one and bring it along. Hell, grab two if you can manage it. He turned to Galindo. How do you feel about covering our retreat? The private wrinkled his nose. Depends, he replied. How would you feel if I got eaten while covering your retreat? I don't know, the corporal replied, a playful twinkle in his eye. I might shed a tear. He raised a finger. Might? Galindo cracked a smile. Well, I'll see if I can spare you that terrible fate, he replied. Corva nodded and motioned for everybody to follow him, moving as quickly as they could. Galindo held back, taking up the rear position. The corporal was first to the intersection, making a point to smack into the first zombie he encountered, delivering a forceful shoulder strike and sending the surprised ghoul flailing to the asphalt. He repeated this with another one halfway across the road, sending it to the ground as well. When he glanced up the road, there were a hundred or so of the monsters, all of which far more interested in the meals on legs than the noise in the distance. The group ducked and dodged outstretched rotten hands as they reached the other side. Corver led the five of them up, everybody grabbing trash cans and rolling them behind. Galindo stopped ten yards deep into the street, pulling his knife and waiting for the zombies to start coming his way. All right, come on, who's first? He barked. A few zombies were ahead of the others, staggering towards him. Galindo leapt into action, smacking one of them in the head with his blade and shoving it back into the others. Rather than go in for the kill, he kept his distance to keep the attention of more zombies coming his way. An elderly-looking zombie with a tattered flower dress staggered towards him, and he stabbed it in the forehead, dispatching it quickly and kicking it back into its brethren. Another in a business suit made a lunge for him, and he cracked it with his elbow, reeling around and stabbing it in the temple. As he readied to strike again, there was a loud whistle from fifty yards behind him. Galindo quickly turned tail and ran, quickly catching up to the others. As he grew close, he appraised the makeshift barricade made entirely of rolling trash cans. He stopped just short of it, having had some time as the zombies were slow moving, and inspected his team's handiwork. The cans lay on their side, stretching from one side of the road to the other, layered too deep. He nudged it with his foot, moving it slightly. Great craftsmanship, he said, letting out a low whistle. Corva shrugged. It isn't perfect, he admitted, but it'll slow them down. How? Galindo cocked his head. Bar grinned. Why don't you hop over and find out? He attempted to step over and found that it was more difficult than he thought, as the can came up to his knees. Finally, he gave it a hop, the leg landing between the two lines, and stumbled over to the other side. Sellers and Benton caught him before he face-planted. "'We only have to buy enough time to get out of their sight,' Bartlett explained. "'If your gracefulness is any indication, it'll do just fine.' Galindo shook his head and headed past them towards the next street, hiding his blush. "'Come on, let's get moving. 
he said tersely. The rest of the team chuckled and followed him. Chapter 5 Nearly an hour had passed as the group slowly worked their way south. The constant stops to cause diversions and stay out of sight was time-consuming, but it was a lot more pleasant than starting a battle that could have quickly escalated into something they couldn't win. They took a breather inside a small business that overlooked one of the sports fields they'd seen on the satellite image. There was a huge college sign across the street, letting them know they were in the right place. There were dozens of zombies on the sports fields, with more roaming the buildings between. Now the only question is, Bar mused as she studied the area, where is the residence hall? Benton leaned forward, squinting. Looks like there are only a dozen buildings or so, he said. Shouldn't be that hard to find. Yeah, nothing says easy like looking for an address while fighting off hordes of zombies, Bar retorted, rolling her eyes. Benton scoffed. I didn't say the whole thing would be easy, he shot back. But finding the building out of twelve shouldn't be overwhelming. Bullshit, Bar snapped. Shouldn't be too hard is the same as saying it's easy. As the two soldiers bickered, Bartlett got up from the couch and walked into the kitchen with purpose, causing the others to pause and wonder what she was doing. "'Hey, you okay?' Sellers asked. She didn't answer, just disappeared inside, and the trio followed her. "'Hey, you'll have to forgive us,' Benton gushed as he rushed inside. "'We fight quite a bit.' Bartlett shook her head. "'Not why I came in here.' she assured him, but thanks for the concern. She dug through a small table in the corner of the kitchen, filled with knick-knacks and whatnot on the top. Finally, she pulled out a phone book, holding it up for them to see. Benton raised an eyebrow. Glad you were able to find us another bludgeon to use against those things, he said, appraising the large and heavy book. I think we'll find what's inside to be more useful, she replied, and slammed it down on the kitchen table kicking up a cloud of dust. Oh, Benton said lamely, clearly embarrassed he hadn't made the connection. She opened it and poured through it, before finding an entry under the college name that read Residence Hall. Just to the side of it was the address, 1422 Mayfair Drive. We may not know what the building looks like, she said, but we know where it is. It's not much, but I figure it's better than going in completely blind. The other three chuckled a bit, nodding in approval. That's a hell of a find, Bartlett, Benton admitted. Sellers nodded with a grin. Especially given the fact you are way too young to have used a phone book in your life, he added. I spent summers at my grandmother's house, she said defensively, and she would have me look up the number to the pizza place after she burnt dinner. The group chuckled and headed back out into the living room. Hey, Corporal! You're not going to believe this find, Barr declared. Bartlett carried the phone book to Corver, pointing out the address. Quality work there, Private, Corver said. Now we just have to figure out where that road is, and we'll be in business. Let's gear up. The group readied their weapons before moving over to the front window to plot their course. The sports fields on either side of the buildings look like they could be trouble, the corporal mused. Barr cocked her head. Looks like most of the fencing is still in place, she added, so that should help contain a lot of them. 
Still, it's something we're going to have to keep an eye on, Galindo put in. Last thing we need is an unexpected mob. Corver nodded, pursing his lips. I think our best bet is to go straight down the main road leading to the heart of campus, he suggested. That gives us a street on either side for a retreat, if need be. How big does the campus look on the map? Sellers asked. The corporal pulled out the piece of paper and looked at it, using his fingers as makeshift measuring tools. It's hard to tell with as pulled out as the view is, he murmured, but it's at least twice as big as the sports fields. So three, maybe four blocks? Corporal, I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds, Bartlett began slowly, but I think we should check out the street names running north and south before venturing onto campus. Corver nodded. That's a good idea, he agreed. Last thing we want is to get four blocks deep, only to realize the street we need is on our left. In that case, when we break out of here, we get into groups of two. He pointed at the soldiers as he spoke. Sellers and Bartlett, you check the road on the left. Barr and Galindo, you get the right. Meet back at the top of the center street. If you encounter zombies, it's either melee or avoidance. No gunfire until absolutely necessary. Everybody clear? There was a round of, clear, and then he nodded firmly. Let's move out, Corva said, and the group left the house, rushing across the street over a large parking lot, heading towards campus. There were a smattering of zombies in the lot, but they were easy enough to avoid. The troops gave them forceful shoves, sending them to the ground. They rushed to opposite streets, branching off to check the names on the signs. They reconvened at the top of the center street, and Corva turned to them. Find what we're looking for, he asked. Galindo shook his head. No Mayfair Drive, he replied. Same here, Sellers added. Let's get moving to the south then, the corporal instructed, and waved for them to follow. The troops moved, slowing as they approached the first intersection. They headed for the western building, inching up towards the road. As they grew closer, Corva looked up to check the street names. Fuck, he muttered under his breath. No Mayfair. The corporal motioned for the group to stay back, and he looked around the corner. There were a few dozen ghouls down the street, hanging around the entrance to the sports field. Just at the end of the road, he could see that the gate was open, and several more dozen ghouls littered the field. He glanced the other way, seeing that the street was virtually empty save for a few creatures the next block up. He turned back around. West could be trouble, he said quietly. The gate to the field is open, and there's a party going on. We need to get across the intersection quick. Galindo raised an eyebrow. Any trouble in the other direction? Pretty clear. Nothing to worry about, Culver replied, shaking his head. Forget single file. We need to cross shoulder to shoulder, minimize our exposure. Let's get across. The team lined up, stretching halfway across the road. Culver silently counted them down, then started across. They stayed as low as they could, moving quickly while trying to keep their steps light. They reached the other side and pasted themselves against the western wall. Culver worked his way back to the corner to see if they'd attracted any attention. A few zombies shuffled their way, almost looking confused. Come on, he silently prayed. You didn't see anything. You know you didn't see anything. His positive thinking paid off, and two zombies near the back bumped into each other and swatted at one another, moaning loudly. The handful of creatures in the front turned back their way, 
staggering off. The corporal breathed a deep sigh of relief and then turned to give the team a thumbs up. They moved to the next block, pausing again at the intersection. Corver looked up and spotted the welcome sign, Mayfair Drive. He looked to the west, seeing only a smattering of ghouls, then to the east, where there were a few hundred or so congregating around a single building. He backed up, motioning for the others to look quickly, before clustering around him to talk plans. Can't see the building numbers from here, Galindo said quietly, but I'm going to guess that's our place. Barr shook her head in disbelief. No way we're fighting through all of them. I agree, Corver said. We're going to have to get a diversion going. He looked around and then honed in on Bartlett and Sellers. I know this is a shit detail, but we need those things out of the way. Can you two handle it? The duo exchanged a fist bump with each other and nodded. We'll make it happen, Corporal, Sellers promised. Corver nodded. Good, he said. This street is pretty clear, and it looks like it runs into the tail end of the field. You should be able to lure them down and escape around it. If you get good enough distance between you, retreat back to the house and we'll meet you there once we get the survivors out. What are we going to do? Galindo asked. Corver pointed to the building on the other side of the street. It was a small cafe with the side door dangling open. The private rolled his eyes. Oh, good. Get a quick snack before launching a suicide run, he joked. Love it. You two get moving, the corporal said, motioning to Sellers and Bartlett. Be safe. They nodded as the others headed over to the cafe, drawing all the shades shut and securing the door. Well, how do you want to do this? Bartlett asked, turning to her partner. Sellers peered down the street to the horde. They're pretty densely packed, he mused. Shouldn't take more than a few shots to get them pulling in our direction. He looked towards the field, staring at the four zombies a couple blocks up, spread out fairly well. I tell you what, if you want to handle getting them moving, I'll take out the ones in our way to the field. How much lead time do you need? Bartlett asked. He shrugged. Give me two minutes and start firing, he said. She nodded, and both of them readied their weapons. He was the first out of hiding, staying close to the wall to minimize exposure. He started with a brisk walk, keeping his footsteps light before breaking into a full sprint on the next block. The first zombie he encountered barely had time to turn around before getting a knife to the skull. He quickly tossed it aside and walked over to the next one, which had begun shambling in his direction. Three more, easy, he murmured, and lunged over to deal with the stragglers. Meanwhile, Bartlett came out of hiding, slowly walking up towards the zombie mass in front of the building. As she grew closer, she appraised the massive group stretching back twenty yards from the double-door entrance. Bartlett took a few deep breaths, stamping down the fear, and prepared to fire. She aimed towards the center of the mass, centering on a gnarly mop of blood-splattered blonde. She fired single bursts. She didn't pay attention to whether she was hitting anything, Despite taking down a few corpses, it wouldn't really matter in the grand scheme of the horde. After the second shot, dozens of ghouls turned towards her, moaning and shambling in her direction, arms outstretched. By the fifth shot, most of the horde had her in their roomy sights. By the tenth shot, she was the most popular girl to ever set foot on campus. The front line of the horde reached twenty yards from her, 
and she jumped up, looking over their heads to make sure most of the creatures had pulled away from the door. Knowing she couldn't do much else, she retreated down the street, moving at a pace equal to the ghouls so they didn't lose interest. As she walked, she watched Sellers deftly take out a few zombies with his knife, stabbing skulls and tossing corpses aside. A few more staggered out from a side street and he dispatched them easily, before turning back towards his partner. Damn, looks like you got their attention, he declared. Bartlett raised her forefinger and pinky, shooting him a rock on. That's an understatement, she replied smoothly, and just like the crackhead at the gas station, I'd like to keep my distance from them, so let's get moving. The duo began their stroll towards the field, and when they reached the grass they stared out at the landscape. There were dozens of zombies, easily in the low hundreds, spread out across the green space, some of which were coming their way. Both soldiers stiffened but relaxed a touch when they realized the fencing was still up and intact. So, how soon until we start running? Sellers asked. Bartlett glanced over her shoulder at the horde, gauging them about fifteen yards away from the edge of the grass. I say as soon as the first footsteps off the pavement, we haul ass. Want to place a friendly wager on who makes it to the house first? Sellers asked, waggling his eyebrows. She barked a laugh. I've seen you run, she scoffed. Just wouldn't feel right taking money from a cripple. He simply smirked as they waited, and as soon as the first ghoul stepped foot on the grass, they took off like a shot towards the rally point. Chapter 6 The four soldiers prepared to leave the café as Galindo crammed a fistful of chips in his mouth. Bar laughed, shaking her head at the mangy soldier. Okay, looks like Bartlett was able to get most of them away from the door, Corva murmured, watching out the window as the last few stragglers wandered past. Chances are there are going to be more in the lobby. Take them out silently, but be prepared to be loud if need be. Galindo tried to talk, but it came out muffled and he choked on his mouthful of fried potato, spitting crumbs all over himself. I think what my mismannered friend here is saying, Bar piped up, patting Galindo on the back, is that we should be on the lookout for runners as well. The corporal nodded. Potentially a lot of them, too, he agreed. The captain said he sent a group of fifty this way, so it could be all kinds of trouble in there. If things get too hot, retreat and secure the front door. I don't want to abandon anybody, but we aren't in the position to take on that kind of threat. The soldiers nodded in agreement, and Corva turned back to the window. The route to the building was clear, so he raised his hand, waving for everyone else to join him. The quartet filed out onto the side street, knives at the ready, looking towards the fields to make sure that the zombies headed in that direction were far enough away, most of the way down the block. With the distraction safely working, they moved swiftly and quietly towards the housing complex. The building was on the corner of the next block, still with half a dozen zombies milling about, most of which were pressed up against the building, smacking on the side. Corva pointed to Galindo and Benton to cover the left side, and the four of them leapt into action. The soldiers rushed the ghouls jamming blades into the backs of their skulls all along the walls, dropping the corpses before any of them could even turn around to see what was coming. In a matter of seconds they were zombie-free, at least on the outside. 
The corporal approached the door carefully and stepped into the lobby. It was a large space, covering most of the first floor. The front windows provided a decent amount of light, allowing them to see completely across the room. It looked like a war had gone down in there, blood and corpses covering every inch of space. Bullet holes riddled the walls and furniture, some even in the ceiling. There was some movement at the far end of the room, and Corva knelt down, smacking his knife on the marble floor. A high-pitched ting reverberated through the room, and a dozen zombies emerged from the shadows. Two of them broke free of the group at a full sprint in crimson-soaked military fatigues. "'Runner!' the corporal cried. "'Galindo!' The two of them dropped their knives and readied their rifles, tracking the movement of the ghouls as they grew closer. At ten yards they opened fire, both of them finding the target and dropping both runners immediately. "'Benton, get that door secure!' Corva barked. "'Rest of you on me, let's clean this up!' The three soldiers approached with their knives out, heading for the ten zombies shambling towards them. As they got close, Galindo stepped over to the side, picking up a lightweight wooden chair and tossing it hard, hitting several of them and knocking seven of them to the ground like bowling pins. "'Looks like a tough spare to pick up there, bud,' Bar quipped. Galindo grinned and held up his knife. "'Don't worry, I got this,' he declared, and leapt into action. He went after the two still standing, quickly taking them down. Bar lunged and took out the ones on the ground. Easy pickings. Corva took out the last one standing and rejoined the duo, the room secure in a matter of moments. "'What in the hell were they doing over here?' Galindo asked, looking around. The group headed over to where the ghouls had been, spotting the door for the stairs, which was shut and covered in blood. Corva took a deep breath. Okay, let's see what we're dealing with, he said, and approached the stairwell door. He gently pushed it open, peeking inside through the crack. Within seconds, several decayed fingers grabbed the door, trying to pull it open. Oh, shit! the corporal cried. Galindo and Benton grabbed the door release and yanked it towards them, and Barr pulled out her handgun and started firing through the crack. One by one, she was able to drop a few zombies causing the hands to fall away. Once it was down to three sets, the boys were able to pull the door tight on them, the rotted fingers wiggling away against the doorframe. "'Knife!' Corva barked. Bar pulled out her blade and ran it down the frame, severing finger after finger until they were able to pull the door completely shut. Once it was secure, they backed off, staring on as the creatures inside pounded on it. "'Pretty safe to say we aren't taking the stairs,' Galindo muttered. Benton pursed his lips. How the hell we getting up then? he asked. Elevator? Galindo suggested. Barr shook her head. There's no power, she countered. And even if there was, it would be a death trap. I'm not saying hitch a ride in the elevator, he shot back, rolling his eyes. I'm saying let's use the shaft. We should be able to get on top of it and get the next floor door open. Benton shrugged. I've heard worse ideas. Only because you've spent so much time with Galindo, Barr pointed out. Facts, Benton agreed. Corva shook his head. Still, I think it's our only option, he said. Let's find it. The group fanned out over the lobby, and finally Barr let out a shout. Got it, she called. The four troops converged on the elevator. 
Galindo pulled out his knife and wedged it between the doors, prying it open. When it cracked apart, Barr and Benton grabbed and started pulling. As they did, Corver kept his gun at the ready for any surprises. As the doors slid open, they stared down at the horrific scene before them. Four civilians lay dead on the floor of the elevator, covered in bite marks. One person, who looked to have been a middle-aged man, had a hole in the side of his head. A handgun laying next to him. The troops shook their heads. Not sure exactly what happened here, Galindo mused. But goddamn, it's nothing good. Corver took a deep breath. This isn't going to be pleasant, he said. But we gotta pull them out. The soldiers begrudgingly started grabbing bodies and pulled them out of the elevator, clearing a path for themselves. Galindo, grab that chair over there, the corporal instructed. Galindo grabbed a hard plastic high-backed chair, setting it in the middle of the elevator. Corva hopped up onto it and started working on the roof hatch. It took him a moment with the knife, but he was able to pry it open. Give me a hand up here, he grunted as he wrapped his hands around the open hole. As Galindo got ready, Corva turned to the other two. Once he's up, get the chair out of the way because we might be coming down real quick. They climbed up one at a time, and Barr moved the chair out of the way immediately. Corva and Galindo knelt in front of the second-floor door, getting it pried open enough to dig their fingers in. Before they pulled, the corporal turned to his partner. If there are more than three of those things on the other side of this door, I want you to go down first, he said firmly. That clear? Galindo nodded, and then they heaved the doors open all the way. They jumped back just in case of a threat, but nothing was there. They cautiously stepped forward, peering into the hallway and then climbing up onto the second floor and looking around. The hallway was empty, clean, and appeared to have been spared any bloodshed or battle, which was confusing to both soldiers. Either those guys never made it this far, or they somehow managed to avoid every zombie and got to safety, Galindo murmured. Corver shook his head. My guess is the former, he said dryly. Still, let's work our way down the hall and see if anybody is home. Each of them took a side, heading down the hallway, inspecting each door and giving it a knock. When they got to each end, there was no response from anywhere. They doubled back to the elevator. Third floor? Corver asked. Galindo nodded. Looks like, he agreed with a shrug. But how the hell are we doing this? The corporal let out a sharp whistle and Barr's head poked up through the top of the elevator. Get up here, Corver instructed. We need some help. The two soldiers clambered up, and all four reconvened on top of the elevator car. Galindo reached over to the elevator cable and climbed up like a pro. The three soldiers at the bottom grabbed it and pulled the heavy cable towards the door side, so that he could reach. It took all three of them to keep it steady. Okay, when I get this door open... You be ready to let go, Galindo reminded them. Corver nodded. Got it. The private wrapped his legs around the cable, securing himself enough around the stiff cord so he could start working on the door with his knife. He managed to get the blade in and pried it open a bit. He took a deep breath before pulling it fully open. As the doors gave way, he saw pools of blood as well as corpses on the ground. Nothing jumped out at him, so he gave the others a thumbs up and then grabbed the edge pulling himself up into the third-floor hallway. 
He drew his handgun immediately and whipped to the right at the sound of banging. There were a dozen zombies about twenty yards away down the hall, all congregating around one door. He clenched his jaw and leaned back into the elevator shaft. Dozen hostiles, he whispered. Going to need some help. He continued to aim at the zombies tensely as Corver made the climb up to the door. It took the corporal a few moments, but he finally hauled himself into the hallway. He looked at the situation and then motioned through the door for the other two to stay put. You feel comfortable shooting at this range? Corver whispered. Galindo nodded. Yeah, I'm good, he murmured back. Let's light him up then, the corporal said. They aimed, picking their targets, and then after a quiet countdown, squeezed their triggers simultaneously. Two zombies immediately dropped, and the bulk of them turned their attention towards the fresh meat in the hallway. As they began to move, three runners in combat fatigues burst through, tearing towards them. The soldiers fired, having trouble finding their targets right away, until finding foreheads. Galindo took aim at the final runner but missed, hitting it in the jaw. Move back, Corver barked, and as the private darted out of the way, the corporal dropped into a crouch, waiting for the ghoul to reach him. When it did, he swung his arms up, catching the zombie under the armpits and shoving it into the elevator shaft head first. The ghoul's head gave a sickening crack as it hit the far wall, and then the body plummeted to the car below with a sharp crunch. Hell of a move there, corporal, Galindo breathed. Corver shrugged. Wasn't my first choice, but it worked, he replied. Come on, let's clean it up. They resumed firing, quickly taking out the remaining zombies in the hallway. With the situation clear, the corporal leaned back into the elevator. We're going to check out the door, he said. You two hang tight. At their nods, he led Galindo towards the room that the zombies had been so interested in. The private grinned and did a playful shave-and-a-haircut knock, and a moment later, the lock clicked. The door opened, revealing a blood-soaked soldier, pallid and eyes wide. His face broke out into a giant smile when he saw the two soldiers standing there. "'Oh, thank you,' he croaked. "'We didn't think anybody would ever come.' "'What's your name, soldier?' Corver asked. The young man stood up straight. "'I'm Private Casey,' he replied, and then motioned to two men inside, sitting on dorm beds snacking on some junk food left behind by the previous residents. "'This is Private Ibarra and Private Hartman.' "'Gentlemen,' Corver continued, "'I'm Corporal Corver, and this is Private Galindo. Captain Clay sent us to rescue your team so we can push on to Freeway Park. Did anybody else make it?' Casey swallowed hard and shook his head. "'Nah, man,' Hartman said, standing up from the bed. "'We're it.' Galindo's eyes widened. "'Christ,' he breathed. "'I thought there were fifty of you. What the hell happened?' "'Shit hit the fan,' Hartman replied, tossing an empty chip bag on the floor. "'That's what happened.' Corver nodded. "'We'll have plenty of time to hear the whole story once we get to Freeway Park,' he said firmly. "'Let's get a move on.' The three privates grabbed their gear, and Ibarra picked up a large duffel bag, slinging it over his shoulder. "'What you got there?' Galindo asked, raising an eyebrow. Ibarra grinned. "'Party favors.' He gave him a playful wink and headed past him towards the elevator. Galindo smiled. "'This should be fun,' he quipped. The group reached the shaft, and everyone worked their way down to the bottom, one by one. The newcomers introduced themselves to Benton and Barr, 
and the newly formed group headed back out into the lobby. Corva led the way to the front door and peered out front. There were a few dozen zombies staggering about, attracted by the gunfire, just enough to make life difficult. "'There another way out of here?' he asked, turning back to the rescued soldiers. Ibarra jerked a thumb over his shoulder. "'Back entrance to an alley,' he replied. "'But not sure we want to go that way.' "'Why not?' the corporal asked. "'Fenced-in area leading to the street,' Hartman trailed off, shaking his head. "'And not all of us made it inside.' The others exchanged a look, nodding in understanding. "'Runners. We could always just shoot out one of the windows and go that route,' Galindo suggested. "'Not like we have to worry about being sued for property damage or anything.' Barr shook her head. "'Noise is going to attract those things in our direction.' she replied, unless you want to stay behind and distract them while we make our getaway. Not high up on my list of things to do, Galindo admitted. He held up a finger. Wait, Ibarra, you got any party favors that could help us out here? His new companion grinned and unzipped the duffel bag. Thought you'd never ask. He pulled out a small block of C4 with a detonator. Isn't that a bit overkill? Benton asked. Ibarra shook his head. Nah. Overkill would be leveling the building. I'm just gonna... He paused and smirked. Do a bit of rearranging. Corva chuckled and waved to him. Get it set up, he instructed. Ibarra headed for the front reception desk, securing the explosive to the front wall facing the doors, and then attached the detonator. We're good, he declared as he joined the group. Corva led them to the side street window and shot it out. The group immediately jumped out, one at a time, and they took off running to the north towards the rally point. Zombies staggered after them, arms outstretched and a block up. The corporal nodded. Hit it, he said, and Ibarra smashed the detonator, sending an impressive shockwave through the air, shattering glass in several buildings. Benton poked at his ear, shaking his head. I thought you were just rearranging, he asked. Job was a little bigger than I thought. Ibarra admitted sheepishly. Benton laughed and clapped him on the back, and the soldiers picked up the pace to head back to the rendezvous. Chapter 7 The group of nine set up in some bushes across the way from Freeway Park. The target building, a ten-story structure that overlooked the interstate, was two hundred yards away. There was a four-lane frontage road, an on-ramp, and a large parking lot standing between them and the front door, as well as fifty or so zombies. On the interstate, which ran straight at the building before curving around it, there were thousands of ghouls, spread out with a few yards between each of them, most shambling slowly to the north, where there was faint gunfire in the distance. "'Great,' Galindo muttered. "'So now what?' Bar shrugged. We get inside and get to where we need to get to, she replied. Interstate's raised a bit, Bartlett mused, so probably a third or fourth floor should give us a good vantage point. Galindo threw up his hands. Again, that's great, but then what? he asked. These three guys are the only reinforcements we have. There are thousands of those things on the interstate. How are we supposed to do anything to them? One thing at a time, Corva cut in. Let's get in there and secure first. Galindo begrudgingly nodded his head. So, how are we getting in? 
Sellers piped up. Bar cocked her head. Those things are spread out pretty good, she pointed out. I say we just plow through right to the front door. And if it's locked, Galindo asked. She tapped her gun. I got the key. Casey pulled out a pair of binoculars and looked towards the building, scanning the area until he spotted an underground parking lot. Might have a better option, he said, and handed the binoculars over to Corva, pointing. The corporal looked and saw that only one of the doors appeared to be open, and there weren't too many zombies around the entrance. Parking garage, huh? Would make sense, Hartman agreed. Those stairwell doors would most likely be unlocked, and I'm guessing it's not too crowded if you're suggesting it. Ibarra nodded. I like that better than a suicide run to the front door. Any objections? Corva asked. Galindo raised his hand, and the corporal looked around. Good, let's move, he said, and the private scowled, lowering his hand. Hold that thought, corporal, Ibarra said quietly. Corva's brow furrowed in annoyance, but closed his mouth when the private pulled out another block of C4 and set it by a tree. Once we get inside, Ibarra said as he stood up, wouldn't hurt to have something else for them to focus on. The corporal nodded. Good call. After the bomb was set, the group headed out, running straight for the building while fanned out and staggered. Five in the front line, four in the back. The run wasn't a straight shot, several zombies attempting to stagger into their path. They didn't bother to go for the kill, simply shoving them out of the way to keep moving. After some ducking and diving, the group reached the parking garage, which went under the building. Corva and Galindo squeezed off a few rounds to pick off the zombies by the entrance. The group ducked inside, the lead two pulling out flashlights and aiming with their guns. They did a quick sweep of the lot, seeing a handful of vehicles as well as a few zombies quickly dispatching them with bullets to the face. Get that door shut and get our distraction going, Corva called. The others turned their attention to the door while the corporal and Galindo cleared the room. The gunfire echoed against the concrete walls as they pulled down the door, watching as the few dozen zombies caught up to them. Ibarra hit the detonator, and the explosion rattled the building. A few moments passed, and they looked outside, watching as the bulk of the zombies wandered off towards it. Come on, let's get upstairs, Corva suggested. They found the stairwell that led up, and the corporal took great care to open it extra slowly, learning from the last time. Thankfully, this stairwell was empty. The group worked their way up floor by floor, checking to make sure that each door was secured. When they finally reached the fourth, they stopped and clustered around. Let's get in and clear the floor, Corva said. We'll figure out our next move after that. Teams of two, move hard, move fast. He turned as the group nodded and threw open the door, allowing them all to pour inside. They broke off into duos, rushing through the cubicle farm in the center of a large open area. It was dark, with the only light coming from the exterior windows, but it was bright enough to show movement. Contact! Contact! erupted from a few soldiers, and then gunfire echoed in the room. Bullets ripped through the dozen or so ghouls in the open area, dropping them quickly. Corva came in once everything was silent and surveyed the situation watching as the rest of the teams quickly cleared the offices against the walls. After a minute, there was no more noise, and sporadic yells of, Clear! He walked to the front window, facing the interstate. 
Soon all nine of them stood there, staring silently at the sight before them. The building faced a long, straight stretch of highway, and from their view they could see tens of thousands of zombies stretched as far as the eye could see. Several on ramps on either side of the road acted as bottlenecks for more ghouls joining the main horde. The creatures were still spaced out fairly well, three to four yards apart in most cases, with the occasional cluster. God damn, Galindo breathed. There is nothing good going on here. Bar shook her head emphatically. How are the nine of us supposed to bunch these things up? You got anything in that big bag there, Ibarra? Sellers asked, turning to the private beside him. Ibarra wrinkled his nose. I have some explosives, but nothing that's going to do much good without a massive amount of sustained firepower supporting it. Which we don't have, Bartlett cut in dryly. Galindo nodded, rubbing his forehead. I have maybe forty bullets left. Same, Bar added. I'm a little higher, Benton piped up, but it's kind of a moot point. We'd need thousands just to group them up, let alone hold their interest. Corver took a deep breath. I'm open to suggestions, he declared. At the moment, the best plan I can come up with is to break the glass and start yelling like a bridesmaid at a Vegas bachelorette party, which I'm going to assume isn't going to be much of a success. I don't know, Galindo drawled. I think the humor value alone on that puts it in the must-try category. Bartlett cocked her head. Ibarra? You have anything else in that bag besides explosives? she asked. He walked over to the desk, swiped everything off of it, and set the duffel down. Knock yourself out, he said, stepping back and waving her over. Bartlett unzipped it and started pulling out the contents. Sellers gaped from over her shoulder. You didn't think a fifty cal was worth mentioning? he demanded. I got one strand of bullets, Ibarra said, shaking his head. So, no, it's not going to do a whole lot. What happened to the rest of the ammo? Benton asked. Casey lowered his gaze. The guys carrying it didn't make it. Well, why didn't you say something when we were at the dorms? Barr asked, crossing her arms. Maybe we could have made a play for it. Hartman shook his head. They were in the stairwell. There was a moment of tense silence, and then Galindo sighed. Okay, so we have a hundred rounds of fifty cal ammo, he said. That's something at least. Bartlett turned to the corporal. How much time do the Apaches need to get here? I don't know, he replied, and pulled out his radio. I'll find out. He headed off to call command, and Sellers raised an eyebrow. Oh, God, he said as he eyed Bartlett. You have an idea, don't you? Galindo's brow furrowed. Wait, that's a bad thing? he asked. Depends on who you ask, Bartlett replied. Yes, Sellers declared. She shook her head. Don't ask him. So what's the idea, girl? Barr asked, leaning on the desk. Bartlett licked her lips. When we came in, there were a few SUVs in the lot downstairs, she began. We get a few of those, drive them onto the interstate, create a blockade, then use the fifty cal to carve us out a hole big enough to get out. Get a little cover from the shooters up here, and it could work. The group simply stared at her blinking. Told you, Sellers said dryly. Barr pushed off of the desk, shaking her head. That's, um, bold, she said. I appreciate you thinking outside the box and all, Hartman said slowly. 
But those cars aren't going to last very long with that size of a crowd. They'll push through pretty quickly. Depending on what Corporal Carver has to say, Bartlett replied, it may be all we need. Everybody turned and looked towards him as he finished up with the radio, turning towards them. He stopped in his tracks, suddenly curious as to why everyone was staring at him. Um, what? he asked. Galindo shrugged. Oh, nothing, he drawled. Just waiting to see if we have to go on yet another suicide mission or not. How long on the helicopters? Bartlett asked. Corva turned towards her. Airfield to site flight time is fourteen minutes, he replied. However, if we can give them a small window, they could be on us in three. Galindo sighed. God damn it, he muttered under his breath. Did I miss something? Corva asked, brow furrowing. Come on over, Corporal, Sellers groaned. Bartlett has an idea. Chapter 8 You're out of your goddamn mind, Bartlett, Corva said, shaking his head. I like it. He waved everyone over to the window. Okay, here's the plan, he began, motioning as he spoke. Three vehicles, SUVs or trucks, whatever we can find down there. Use that exit ramp on the left and block off as much of the road as possible. Two-man teams, one focuses on drawing the zombies in, one person targets the zombies on the left, the other two doing what they can to draw the ones from the other side of the road in. The other three will need to get things set up to escape. That means the 50 cal. I can also rig up the rest of the C4, Ibarra added. Get it small enough that you can throw it out to clear the way in case things get too hairy. Galindo grimaced. That sounds a little risky, doesn't it? He asked. Don't worry, I'll make them small enough that they won't kill you, Ibarra assured him. Your ears will probably be ringing for a week, but you'll live. Corvin nodded. You hold the line as long as possible, he instructed. That noise is going to draw those things from every direction and pull more in from the surface streets. With as fast as they're moving, if we can hold them for ten minutes, it'll be dense enough for a strike. Be going off the clock for this one? Galindo asked. The corporal shook his head. Ten minutes is the ideal, he replied. But as soon as the 50 cal team calls it, then the mission is over. I'm not willing to sacrifice anyone for the sake of this. They'll just have to live with what we can do. It's an important mission, but anyone dying to buy an extra few seconds isn't going to change a whole lot. The other soldiers nodded in appreciation. So, who are the teams? Galindo asked. Corva thought for a moment before responding. He didn't want to choose who to send down, considering they might not be coming back. Any volunteers to make the run? he asked. Every hand in the room shot up without hesitation, and the corporal smiled. Proud of everyone in this room, he said sincerely, but we still need to leave some people behind to cover. Casey raised his hand. I think Ibarra should stay up here. Fuck you, Ibarra snapped. I can fight. His friend nodded. I'm not saying you can't, he assured him, but you're the only one who can get those explosives just right. If those things start coming back down the interstate in big numbers, you might have to rig something up on the fly. Ibarra wrinkled his nose, but nodded begrudgingly. In that case, I want Hartman and Sellers to stay up here with me, he said, pointing between the two soldiers. 
Both of you look like you have good arms, so you can get that shit out to the masses. I can live with that, Culver agreed. Any objections? When nobody said anything, he clapped his hands together. Good. Let's get down to the garage and get our rides. Fifteen minutes later, the ground team had three large SUVs started up and ready to go. They were big behemoths with sunroofs for that extra bit of protection to fire from. Casey and Barr got into one with the fifty cal. Culver and Benton took another, and Galindo and Bartlett took the third. Ibarra stood between the vehicles. So, who is going to be my bomber? he asked. Right here, Culver called and held his arm out the window. Ibarra approached him and handed over a small bag. The corporal looked inside and found six small blocks of C4, each with its own remote detonator on it. These things are going to pack a bit of a wallop, the private explained, so you can spread them out a bit. My suggestion is to run a trail down the exit ramp so you can get back to the building. He held up the detonator trigger. This thing is set to proper frequency, and when you hit it, all of them are going to go off. So for the love of God, don't have anything on you when you pull it. Corva nodded. Note, he replied. What about the ones you're going to throw out? Different frequency, Ibarra assured him. So you don't have to worry about it. The corporal cocked his head. I'm going to keep an eye on you from the road, he said. If you see we're about to get overwhelmed from those things retreating, give me a signal. Consider it done, Ibarra replied. Corva grabbed his radio and held it out to him. Frequency is dialed in, he said. As soon as we head out, call in the Apaches. I've given them the time window, so they'll be ready. I'll handle it, Ibarra assured him. Culver nodded and smacked Benton on the shoulder. Let's get this done. The private hit the horn a few times, prompting Sellers and Hartman to approach the garage door. They looked outside and gave a hand signal of four, letting the drivers know how many zombies were right outside. They threw open the door, and as soon as the light poured in, Benton hit the gas. He tore out of the garage, smacking into the four zombies, sending them flying. The two other vehicles were close behind, with the three of them quickly making the turn towards the interstate. Dozens of zombies spread out across the frontage road and parking lot, all of which immediately turned their attention towards the roaring vehicles. The on-ramp was a quarter mile away, and they reached it quickly. There were a couple dozen ghouls staggering around, several of which were easily smacked aside as Benton led the convoy up. The interstate, however, was a different story with hundreds of corpses in the immediate area, thousands more stretching in both directions. The majority at least was on the other side of the centre barrier. The noise from the engines and squealing tyres drew the attention of most of them. "'Go south ten yards and park it,' Culver instructed. Benton smashed through several zombies, clearing a path through the hundred or so that were within twenty or so yards of the vehicles. He reached the concrete median, and slowed down before crashing into it, crushing several ghouls right against it. Smooth parking job there, the corporal drawled. Benton shrugged. It worked, didn't it? Corver didn't respond, simply leapt out of the vehicle and raised his assault rifle. He picked targets close to him and started firing, dropping several in a matter of seconds. As he did this, the other two SUVs pulled up behind Benton, getting as close as they could. As soon as they stopped, Casey and Galindo jumped out of their passenger seats and opened fire. 
The fighting on the bridge was intense, with three soldiers unloading every shot they had to clear the immediate area. Thirty zombies dropped within a minute, creating a buffer zone for Casey and Galindo. I'll cover, Corver barked. Get the fifty cal up! The duo grabbed the machine gun out of the back and immediately started setting it up. While they did this, Corver continued firing with his rifle, keeping the ten-yard buffer zone side. Past that, however, hundreds of zombies slowly wandered back towards them, thickening up the mass. Better hurry it up! Corver barked. As he held the line for the duo, the other three soldiers in the SUVs popped up from the sunroofs and began firing. Bartlett, in the outer vehicle, shot at the zombies trying to walk around her. The three vehicles were able to block off most of the road, but there was a good eight yards in the final lane and shoulder, where they could pass on her side. She sprayed in three round bursts, dropping several of them by the SUV, and keeping the others occupied by focusing on her. She turned to the southern force, which was overwhelming. She paused for a moment, in awe of the horrifying sight of thousands of ghouls all headed her way. Keep shooting! Barr screamed. Bartlett snapped out of her reverie and joined the other two in firing. Barr in the middle vehicle split her time between the ghouls on their side and helping Benton attract a crowd on the other side of the median. Within minutes there were easily a thousand ghouls on the other side, pressing against the concrete and attempting to get at the soldiers. Finally, Galindo and Casey got the fifty cal set up, loading in their single strand of a hundred rounds. We're hot, the former bellowed, and Corva rushed back behind them. They opened fire, the bullets shredding the creatures within a few yards of them, ripping their bodies in half and sending limbs flying everywhere. They squeezed off about thirty rounds, spraying the immediate area and creating a good thirty-yard buffer. The zombies, for the most part, weren't dead, but they were cut in two, making them a non-threat for the time being. Casey, you got this? Corver asked, and received a thumbs up. Good, Galindo, on me. We gotta get our retreat set. The duo ran back towards the on-ramp, where a few dozen ghouls roamed up. They stopped at the top and fired, picking their targets carefully and efficiently, and dropping them. The corporal pulled out some of the explosives and set one in the middle of the road before moving up another fifteen yards and setting another. They looked down to the bottom of the ramp, seeing about a hundred zombies massing together, slowly moving their way. This is going to be tight, Galindo said, shaking his head. What's our time? Corver looked at his watch. We still need seven minutes. The private shook his head again, knowing it was a long shot. He fired again as Corva started lobbing C-4 down the on-ramp. As the battle raged below, Ibarra, Sellers, and Hartman stood on the fourth floor, keeping an eye on things. The first two overlooked the fighting force, seeing that they were keeping the southern zombies at bay and creating a traffic jam on the ones coming from the north. They're getting a hell of a crowd down there, Sellers commented. Ibarra looked at his watch, seeing they were five minutes in. Still have five more minutes to go, too. Hope they can hold out that long, Sellers said. Ibarra, Hartman yelled. You need to see this. Ibarra clapped Sellers on the shoulder. Stay here, keep watch, he said, and rushed over to the side window running parallel with the interstate. As he reached it, he spotted a couple thousand zombies headed back towards the noise. They're in trouble, Hartman said. 
Ibarra pulled out his handgun. Let's buy them some time then, he declared, and fired into the glass, demolishing the window. He grabbed a ball of explosive, armed it, and chucked it as hard as he could towards the horde. They watched as it vanished into the middle of the pack. I'd cover your ears, he warned, and then pulled out a detonator, hitting the trigger. The blast was forceful, sending dozens of ghouls into the air and knocking easily a couple hundred to the ground. A hundred or so near the front weren't affected, but at least the rest of them were slowed. Let me know when they get moving again, he said, and handed over a block of C4. If I'm tied up, arm it and chuck it, and I'll detonate it when you're ready. Hartman nodded, and Ibarra went back over to the front window to watch the battle raging below. Meanwhile, on the ground, Bartlett continued firing at the zombies trying to get around the edge of the vehicle. Several managed to do so. "'Bar!' she cried. "'I need help!' Bar spotted the zombies coming around and immediately hopped out of the SUV. She quickly raised her weapon and began firing, clearing out the handful of creatures that had come around. Casey looked back, completely unaware that there were zombies coming up on his rear. "'Thanks,' he said, eyes wide at his unknowing danger. Bar nodded and moved back towards her vehicle, when she noticed it beginning to move. The tires squealed a bit as they slid across the road. "'Jesus Christ!' she breathed. "'They're going to push through!' She let out a loud two-finger whistle, getting the attention of Benton, who was concentrating on the zombies on the other side of the barricade. He turned and saw the SUV shifting, and immediately started getting out of his. "'Bartlett, we gotta move!' Bar cried, and the private in question crawled out of her vehicle as it began to slide as well. The three soldiers convened beside Casey, who opened up his fifty cal on some more zombies coming up. Corva and Galindo came running back from the on-ramp. "'Why are you out of position?' the corporal demanded. Bar pointed to the SUVs, which were sliding even more now a few arms sticking through the gaps that grew larger by the second. "'Shit!' Corva growled, and immediately looked up to the window, waving his arms frantically to get the attention of Ibarra. After a few seconds, he saw a flashlight blinking on and off. "'We got two minutes to get the fuck out! Let's move!' he barked. The six soldiers ran towards the on-ramp, dozens of zombies pouring around the side of the SUV blockade. Several of the troops began firing, holding them at bay, as they moved off of the road. Corva pulled out the detonator and got it ready. Fire in the hole! he yelled, and hit the trigger. The soldiers were momentarily staggered as the blast hit them, blinking and shaking their heads. Looking down the on-ramp, the explosions had reduced the ghouls there to red paste. They ran as hard as they could, avoiding limbs and trying not to slip on the slick pavement. When they reached the bottom of the ramp, there were about fifty zombies standing in between them and the garage. "'Light em up!' Culver cried, and the group formed a firing line, moving swiftly. The soldiers fired as they went, creating a path for them to run through. As they tore towards the garage, the chop-chop of the Apache helicopters cut the air overhead. A few seconds later, the whir of multiple miniguns spun up, unleashing a flood of bullets onto the interstate above. A few explosions from the SUVs being decimated added to the cacophony. "'Get to the garage!' Corva screamed, leading the team across the street to the building, taking out several zombies with his gun as they went. He was the first to reach the door and immediately lifted it up. 
Galindo and Benton reached it next and helped him get it high enough for everyone to slide underneath. Once everyone was clear, they let it slam to the ground before the zombies could catch up to them. That's one hell of a run, Galindo said, swiping his palms together. The corporal clapped him on the back as he caught his breath. Yeah, let's never do that again, he said. No argument there, Galindo agreed. Corver dusted himself off. Everybody okay? Ears are ringing like a motherfucker, Barr admitted. But other than that, I'm good. The rest of the group nodded, muttering in the affirmative. Come on, let's get upstairs and see how it looks, Corver said, and led the group trudging up the stairs to the fourth floor, muscles exhausted. Ibarra, what's the situation? The corporal asked when they entered the cubicle farm. Wholesale slaughter, the private replied brightly. The nine troops stood at the window, all of them marveling at the sight. Thousands of zombies lay on the interstate, a heaping mass of rotted flesh, coating the road for several hundred yards. The only real sign of movement was the fires burning from the exploded SUVs. Corver looked further down the road, seeing more ghouls coming up from the downtown area. They took a few steps onto the corpses and ended up slipping over, the uneven terrain of carnage difficult for them to navigate. "'Isn't perfect,' Galindo mused, "'but should be enough to hold them off until reinforcements arrive.' The group continued to stare off in silence. Each of them took pride in completing their mission, but wore heavy shoulders at the price paid to make it happen. Chapter 9 Most of the group had found a place amongst the cubicles to curl up for a nap. All but Corver and Galindo, who sat by the window overlooking the highway. The car fires had long since burned out, but several fires raged around the city, illuminating the night sky. The additional moonlight gave them a good view of the carnage below. A few hundred zombies had managed to navigate the killing fields, stumbling and slipping the entire way. There were thousands lined up behind them, most of which just stood around, not bothering to push the issue. Think we should call in another airstrike? Galindo asked. Corver shook his head. Nah, the situation is pretty solidified down there, he replied. Somebody has bound to be in a worse situation than us out there. That's true, the private agreed. After a few moments of silence, he asked, You think we're really going to be able to set up shop here in Seattle? The corporal paused, pursing his lips for a moment. I think we're going to take it over, he said slowly. Judging by where the fires are, it looks like they're almost to the water. I know that, Galindo replied, shaking his head. What I mean is, do you think we'll be able to make it work? Corva shrugged. Honestly, I don't know he admitted. There are so many variables to think about. Power, food, clean water. All that shit is way above my pay grade. I'm just here to kill zombies and occasionally do some heavy lifting. The private chuckled. Well, you did a hell of a job today, Corporal, he said. Tell that to Potts, Parra, Waller, and Marin, Culver replied, voice cold as ice. Galindo chewed his lip for a moment taking a beat to remember his dead comrades. You got the rest of us through, though, he finally said. Couldn't have done it without you. Yeah, Corver drew out the word. 
but wouldn't look at his companion. Maybe. Before Galindo could reply, the corporal's radio came to life. Corporal Corver, this is Captain Clay. Do you copy? The captain came through. Galindo rolled his eyes. Better late than never, I suppose, he muttered. Right, Corver agreed, and then raised the radio to his lips. Copy, Captain. Watch your twenty. We're a block away from the target building, Clay replied. Wanted to get input on the best entry point. The corporal scratched his head. East side of the building there is an underground parking garage, he explained. The gate to the left is unlocked. Just have to pull it up and get inside. We'll meet you down there. See you in a second, the captain said. Corver sighed and got to his feet. All right, let's be the welcoming committee. They made their way down to the garage. As they exited the stairwell, soldiers were pouring in by the hundreds. We're looking for Captain Clay, the corporal said to a nearby soldier. The private saluted him. Right this way, sir, he said, and escorted them to the captain, who was by the door, barking out orders. Sporadic gunfire cracked outside. Let's get a move on, men, Clay cried. Get inside and secure this door. Captain, these men are looking for you the soldier said. The captain turned away from the door and extended his hand. You must be Corporal Corver, he said. Good to finally meet you. Corver shook his hand and nodded. Likewise, he said. This is my right-hand man, Galindo. What's the situation here? Clay asked. The corporal jerked a thumb over his shoulder. Interstate is blocked off, at least for the time being, he explained. We were able to get enough of them packed together for an Apache run, and the bodies on the ground have made it difficult for the others to press on. And how secure are we in here? the captain asked. Fourth floor is secure, Corver said. Rest of the building is unknown. We blocked off the stairwell doors, but that's all we have the firepower for. Clay turned towards his troops. Sergeant Sierra, he yelled. Front and center. A young, rough and tumble man rushed up, stopping just short of them. Yes, sir. I need you to assemble half a dozen teams of ten, the captain instructed. We need to sweep this building floor by floor and clear it of any threat. The fourth floor is already secure, so leave it be. I expect this to be done within the hour. After that, we need to get firing positions set up in every direction. Yes, sir, Sierra declared. Clay nodded. Get a move on, he said. The sergeant rushed off, yelling out for various corporals to fall in. Show me the battlefield the captain said, motioning for Corva and Galindo to lead him up. The trio headed up to the fourth floor, leaving the troops in the garage to do their own thing, like a well-oiled machine. When they reached the window, Clay looked out, appraising the carnage on the interstate, and the lack of any major push by the zombies on the far side. "'That is some damn fine work, Corporal,' he declared. Corva nodded. "'Thank you, sir. Limited resources, and you completed the mission.' the captain continued. Not sure if we could have done it any better if we had made it here on time. The corporal nodded again. Appreciate that, sir, he said. Now, what can we do to help? Clay admired the man with a smile. Even after the day you've had, you're ready to keep pushing, he said, and glanced around at the exhausted team napping, completely unaware of what was happening in the room. You and your troops are to get some sleep. If I see you before 0800... I'll put you on latrine duty for a month. Corver cracked a smile before saluting. The captain saluted back and shook his hand once again. Get some rest, corporal, he said. 
We'll take it from here. As he vanished into the stairwell, the two soldiers breathed a sigh of relief. That is one order I will do gladly, Galindo declared, and patted his friend on the back. Get some rest, friend, he said. You too, Corver replied, and turned back to the window, giving the war zone one last look as his companion went to find a place to crash. It was a lot to take in, a lot to process. Finally, he let out a big sigh and laid down on the ground, ready to put the horrors of the day out of his mind. There would be a lot more work to be done in the morning. The End Up next. With the battle won, Captain Kersey joins the President and his team to discuss what comes next in Seattle, Part 10. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.